Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining me on Jen Taylor Rerouting. My goal is that every guest becomes a friend and I feel truly blessed to know the people that I've interviewed. If you want to know more information about me from being a guest on this show to my virtual assistant services for podcasters, or perhaps you want to be a published author, I have coaching and ghostwriting services for that. You can find everything that you want to know on jentaylor.net. Remember to give a shout out, share, like, give me some feedback on all of my interviews. I'm happy to join in on the conversation with you. Have a great day. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of interviewing a friend of mine, Craig Nielsen. Craig, how are you? I'm well. Good. Coming over a little bit of a cold, but uh, I think I'll survive. You can cough and choke through it. We don't mind. It's, it's <laughs> relatable. It's human. <laughs> um, now, Nielsen, not the rating? Not the TV ratings? No. Nope. Uh, okay. just, sounds just like that. Just like the TV ratings, but no affiliation. Shoot. I thought maybe we could like get a discount code or something from that, but no go. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about what you do right now. I think, I think your story is pretty amazing. And what you do right now, you have a website called myinternalimage.com. Uh -huh. And you have your master's. Tell me about how that website came to be and what it's about. Okay. So uh, what I am is uh, I'm a professional coach. And, uh, you know, I work primarily with women, women who um, maybe – have uh, issues of you know low self-esteem, low self-confidence, and they're looking for that push to really come out of their shell and and live life uh, what I call fully empowered and self-confident. Uh, my internal image came about. Um, it's actually related to uh, a scripture, and I came about that with you know the scripture passage where Jesus talked about uh, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And, um, and it's also kind of a, my play on what is so prevalent in our culture that tells women that what is so important is, you know, how pretty and perfect they are. The outer image, which, you know, obviously is, is not where uh, self-empowerment comes from. It comes from within and the belief in yourself and, and the confidence you have inside. So that's how I came up with the concept of my internal image versus anything external agreed and there's a lot of princess stuff out there i have a lot of little girls and they always talk about wanting to be the princess because the princess is pretty and wears the clothes and i think you know the best princess would be the one that's strong and confident and fair and kind and that's not out there in barbie land very much so it's everywhere from little kids and like you said men aren't exempt from this but if we're focusing a little bit more on women um do you by any chance know the differences in percentage of depression and suicide rates between women and men i don't know that i i only know of one study or you know where they talk about you know who's who's popping pills for for this and it's estimated that one in four women are taking some form of medication for either depression or anxiety. 
And when it comes to men, they estimate it's about one in seven and one in eight. Right. Okay. So I, I've looked that up. I looked that up recently for um, a blog article that I was writing and I, it was, it was right about the same. It's, so it's more prevalent with women is the point that I wanted to make with that. And um, so we can go on your website and you have a confidence ebook that's people can download. It's 10, about 10 pages. And um, you have a great website and you and I have talked about that before. Um, it's building your inner confidence and it's amazing. Um, we were watching a TV show recently and there's a character in the show that is very confident, funny, a little cocky, but very likable. And then he had an alter ego who was someone who was the complete opposite, total opposite. And and Dana and I looked at each other and he said, wow, he's so much less attractive just because of the attitude that he's portraying. His complete lack of confidence made him seem like you, you didn't even really want, you weren't drawn to him or want to talk to him. That attitude of confidence and, and um, humor and humanity made him very attractive. It was interesting to see the same person portraying two different characters just in a confidence and how much of a difference that made. Yeah, absolutely. And like you, you mentioned, you know, no difference in the way he appeared outwardly. Right. But, and that's the thing is like, you know, one of the dynamics I've, in the clients that I've seen is, you know, like in the dating world, for instance, you know, I, I seem to date the same guy all the time, just with a different face. And, uh, you know, and I don't get it, you know, I, I, I'm a well accomplished and all this. Um, but there's that underlying thing, you know, what are, what is your aura? What are you projecting? What is deep inside that, that gives off, um, this aura that is, um, you know, we talk about energy, you know, energy attracts like energy. So, you know, whatever your, your belief inside and whatever you're projecting is what you're going to attract. Right. I, I love this stuff. So you got really, you're really involved in this. You have your masters in, what's your masters in? My master's is in counseling and educational psychology. Uh, my emphasis of study was actually in college student development. Um, I originally, the original plan was to go to work for a college or university and work as a counselor. Um, and I did, I did that at least you know, through my, my internship in getting my degree. I, I worked in the counseling center up at the University of Nevada, Reno. And um, in working with uh, students mainly, um, it was interesting, uh, you know, out of all the, the clients that I worked with up there, every one of them, with the exception of one, was female. Um, and I don't think, you know, that's a mistake for whatever reasons. So that is also kind of, you know, that experience has also lend itself to what I do today as well. Right. And now I want to go back. I know you've been married for how many years now? Because I know you had an anniversary since we last spoke. That's correct. Uh, 24 years. Yay! Because your website says 22, and I remember that that was not right. 24 years of marriage, two children. Yep. Yep. So I want to, yeah. I, now I want to jump back to you growing up. And this is a pretty, um, I mean, I know now you're not only working with college students, but that's a pretty niche group of people. So I want to talk about kind of how you got there. So tell me about growing up and where and how all the way through till um, you were a college student. 
Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in uh, Southern California, and uh, I would say, you know, memories of childhood are are vague. Uh, let's just say I I grew up, you know, very insecure. Um, I've always been a very thin fellow. I still am today. And uh, you know, as a young man, being a skinny kid, I was an easy target for for being for being bullied and whatnot. Um, didn't really have much encouragement. And uh, at the age of eight, I started to uh, play the drums, and um, I became kind of obsessed doing that. That was kind of my refuge. Uh, and um, early on, I developed a very simple plan in life. As a teenager, I, my goal was to become a rock star and marry a supermodel. Obviously. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah I, clearly that's the goal. Yeah, because, you know, after all, if you, you, that's the kind of people that society admires, right? So that was my goal. And I actually made a good run of it. You know, after high school, I went off to Hollywood. I went to music school. I got into, you know, playing in bands and, and doing that whole thing. Um, but then, you know, shortly after that and in, in the years that followed, uh, that whole illusion of that started to come crumbling down. And um, I found myself kind of in a, I didn't, you know, I was, that was, uh, it just wasn't real, I guess. Um, and then I started to really struggle for my identity, you know, then who am I if I'm not this rock star? And you know, that I think was the catalyst that led to at the age of 21, um, going into a very deep, dark depression. Uh, it was so severe that I was hospitalized for three weeks and, uh, uh school came about with, from that as part of my recovery. Um, I went back to school. I went to college and it was mainly just because I needed some structure. I needed a reason to get up in the morning and, uh, and never, never even at that time, considering what it would evolve into, uh, I did figure I would probably would get a degree, but I had my doubts of whether I was smart enough to actually do that. Um, and, uh, what was really neat and I still use this today is uh, when I first started out and I was filled with all kinds of self doubt, uh, I happened to be talking to a counselor at the, at the, the uh, community college where I went and I was sharing my, my concerns with them about that. Hey, I may not be smart enough to do this. And, uh, he kind of chuckled and he says, okay, well, let's prove it then. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, prove you're not smart enough. He goes, but here's the deal. In order to do that, you've got to, one, show up to class every day. You have to do the work diligently. You have to ask questions when you need help. you got to really, really put the full 100% effort into it. He goes, if you do that, and at the end of the first semester you're failing, we might be able to say, you're not smart enough. Well, that made sense to me. So I figured, well, heck, I can do that. And the pressure of having the perform was all off. All I have to do is do these things and we'll see what happens. Well, you know, 
so I succeeded obviously and just continued on and um, right up into a master's degree. Holy cow, that's so awesome. <laughs> so he basically like double dog dared you <laughs> to yeah. prove that you couldn't. That is awesome. Yeah, and you know, it's it was such a um a turning point and a, and a tool that I still use even with my clients today is you know that whole prove it. Right. You know, um prove you can't do something. You know, let's see. <laughs> So can let's go back because being hospitalized for three weeks for depression and I think it's very relatable that we all have to we all continue to struggle with our identity. I had a a group of women I was speaking to recently and um, someone said well I feel pressure for what I'm going to do in this next stage of life in her 50s like I have to reinvent myself and I said so when you go to college at like 18 years old and you have to figure out what you want to do, but you don't have that much life experience, why do we think that that's one and done? Like you figure out who you are and what you're going to do and that's it. And then we hit this certain age where that's not serving us anymore. So you have to reinvent yeah. yourself. Why, why are we reinventing ourselves instead of just having it be a continuation of who we are? And I don't think yeah. that ever ends, do you? I mean, that whole who am I no. and what I want to be when I grow up sort of attitude, it's never stopped for me. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't born a runner, but I'm a runner. I wasn't, you right. know, I, I, um, I wasn't born 47 years old. I became that. And so why isn't it a constant progression? But when you're younger and we both have teenagers or how old are your kids now? Um, we have a son who is 15 and our daughter is 19. Okay. Just started college. Right. So we are living that whole, who am I and what do I want to be? And at that age, that's very crucial. They're learning an awful lot very quickly. My point yeah. is that even though you're inundated with that at that age, and I tell my kids, you don't need to know what you want to be when you grow up. I'm exactly. still figuring it out. Right. I, right. My daughter is, our daughter is going through that currently. Um, and it, I think part of what drives that is we're conditioned in our culture. I mean, when, you know, you meet somebody for the first time, usually what is the first question? Hi, what and do you, you do? Are so, what do you do? Yeah. We're, what do you do? Which I always thought, you know, implicit in that question is, you know, how much money do you make? What are right. you really looking for? Um, so, you know, the thing, our daughter, you know, she's a, a freshman. And uh, at this point, she's undeclared. Right. And people are constantly hitting her with, oh, what are you majoring in? You know, what are you doing? And she's like, she gets frustrated with that. And mm -hmm. I understand that. So I, you know, I, I put her at ease. I said, you know, you will figure it out. I have no doubt. She's an excellent student. She's, you know, she's got her head on straight. She does really, really well in school. Um, but that was even me, you know, before figuring out to get and take some classes and try it on. And see, right. You know, is this me or not? You know? I tell my kids the same thing. And I'm like, you just let your counselor know to give me a call. Yeah, because, right. <laughs> because you don't have to know right now. And even if you say something, even if you declare a major, it probably will change 10 times in the next couple of years. So exactly. you don't know what I mean, you don't know. Right. And, you know, for instance, like in my undergraduate work, uh, my bachelor's degree is in speech communication. And the only reason that happened was because I was taking classes trying to figure it out. And in my recovery from depression, I took a speech class. 
And I remember distinctly the first day of class, the professor saying that public speaking was the number one fear of people in America. So right there on the spot, I said, that's for me. Because understanding that fear played a, a big part in my depression, you know, I figured if that is true and I can do that, then I can do anything. So I, that's where I declared speech major and I got my bachelor's in speech. You know. Now, years later that came into play, but you know, um, that was figuring out that this is fit. This is, this is for me at this time. You know. And the, at this time is like, that's the critical key in all of this, but not just when you're a teenager figuring it out, it's your entire life. Geez, if I had ever, if you had ever asked me at 18, what I would be doing at 47, and what happened along that path, there is no way in a million years, I probably, if there were a list of 10 things, I probably maybe would have gotten one and that was having kids. You know what I mean? Like right. I wouldn't have gotten any of it right. So I feel like even as we are in our 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, we put an awful lot of pressure on ourselves about who we are. And that should be the most fun part of the journey is, I mean, I didn't oh, know absolutely. I loved photography until I took a photography class. I don't do anything with right. it, but I have fabulous memories of that. And so it's more about loving the ride. But at that age of college, when you were 21, it's a little more overwhelming. Can you, can you go into a little more detail about the three weeks in the hospital? That's pretty big. It is. Um, and you know what, what that came about, I mean, I was, I was in like really, really bad shape. Um, so, I mean, to the point where I couldn't even function and even care for myself. Um, so, uh, you know, another, another catalyst that led to my recovery, and this was actually a very important one for me. Um, I grew up, uh, Catholic in my family. And as a, as a result of that, we all went to church on Sunday, but, you know, growing up, I did so mainly out of obligation. You know, not so much that I, I really wanted to, but, you know, that's what the family did. But, you know, in that, I always really enjoyed hearing the gospel stories. I just, I just did. You know, I, I, I loved hearing the stories of Jesus and how he tended to the poor, the downtrodden, the cast, the outcasts and whatnot. When I was lying in the hospital, um, if I started reflecting on those and one that one scripture passage that just really resonated with me at that time was it's John 10, 10. And it says a thief comes to steal and destroy something to that effect and uh, comes to seek and destroy and steal. And Jesus, I have come that you can have life and have it more abundantly. So right there, I started to think, you know, wow, you know, thinking of the thoughts that are in my head, you know, that all that negativity, I go, is these, are these thoughts the voice of somebody who wants to give me life abundantly, or is it the voice of somebody who wants to destroy me? And, uh, you know, in that, you know, laid out flat, you're thinking, you know, I was wallowing in destruction you know my hope was destroyed my ambition was destroyed my motivation my belief in anything i could do my own sense of self-worth all that was destroyed um 
so that was a, a pivotal moment for me, you know, to start. And then even as I started working with the therapist and really reworking that, those thought processes in my head and always weighing it upon that, you know, is, is this thought, does it lead to destruction or does this leave to leave, lead towards life abundantly? Um, and that, you know, all together led me to, you know, continue to build the life which I experienced today, which, uh, you know, you were brought out, which you were mentioning about at 47, if you'd asked you way back then, this is the life you'd have, you'd be like, no way. And I say the same thing. Um, you know, at this time of my life, I look back, it's been beautiful. It's been filled with love. It's been filled with richness. It's been filled with accomplishment. If you told me that back there at 21, that that's what my life would become, I would have told you you're smoking crack. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's just so different than you imagine it. You know, when you think, oh, when I'm 47, when I'm 40, I'm going to feel like I'm dead. And you don't. <laughs> you feel great. You know, I mean, you have that ability to feel any way that you want to and how much how much is chance and how much is choice and it's both and how beautiful that whole journey is if we just let go a little but I think you tapped into things that we need to do which is faith and I want to come back to that but then therapy you said so I mean there are a lot of modalities that help people feel better which I think right. of whether it's therapy or getting your nails done or going to church, those would, correct me if you think I'm wrong, those would fall under a self-care category. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And somehow, and, go ahead. Yeah, um, you know, and that's what I tell you, some people ask me, you know, well, what did it take for you to uh, make full recovery? And I said, well, there was an arsenal of things, yeah. you know. Certainly my faith played a, a huge part in that, but, you know, getting professional help. Um, and that's all, I want to, you know, just make a point about that. You know, after three weeks in the hospital, I, I continued outpatient therapy for nearly a year. And um, financially, you know, that was a hardship because it, I went into debt, but I took on the mindset that, you know, screw it, this is going to make me or break me. Um, so, uh, you know, professional help, but the other is, is exercise. Um, it's something I learned in the hospital, um, you know, where they got us moving and stuff. And uh, I remember them telling us, you know, that endorphins, uh, when you exercise, it produces endorphins, which are a natural antidepressant. So I, I latched onto that. Um, I became a, an avid cyclist while in Southern California and later years I became a runner as well. But so um, exercise was huge. Now that's interesting is, you know, let's talk about this for a moment, you know, for women in particular. Now the uh, late loss in the uh, weight loss industry in our country is a $20 billion a year industry. Crazy. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, I think there's so much, I think the mindset is, is not correct with that. You know, it's like, 
uh, I see women who think, well, I just need to lose 10 pounds or I need to lose 20 pounds. Well, okay, let's say you set that as a goal and you don't make it. And then you, you're right back to it and then you beat yourself up and whatever not. But if we can get out of the mindset that it's, you know, it's about losing a certain amount of pounds or, it's, you know, to try to fit in a certain size dress and change the mindset with I exercise simply because it is a form of self-care. You know, I think the rest of it would take care of itself. So true. It's so backwards. And, you know, I've exercised since I went to college my first year and you gained a college 15, you know, which we all did. Right. <laughs> and back then in 1988, we had Jane Fonda VHS tapes and that woman could kick your butt in no time flat. And yeah. we did that and we ran a little bit and it wasn't all about losing the weight. It was about, I went to, believe it or not, I wasn't raised Catholic, but I went to an all girls private Catholic college my first year. So it was an all girls dorm and I grew up predominantly in Catholic neighborhoods. Um, but we were all like girls that just banding together wanting to exercise and it became fun and it was funny. I mean, we could laugh at ourselves and at each other. And by default, we lost the 15 pounds. So right. the, the, we were, the goal was, oh my gosh, this is happening. We are we did all gain the, the freshman 15 by Christmas. So when we came back in January, we're like, okay, we need to change some of our habits, our eating habits and our exercise habits, because we didn't want to continue that. That's fine. That was fine. But it was the process that was so much fun. And once that became part of our daily life, doing those Jane Fonda videos and going for runs and walking everywhere, never getting a ride, um, losing it was just a byproduct of the change in the lifestyle. And you, you also touched on something else important was connection. You know, connect. Hang on, I lost you just a little bit. Okay. Oh, you're there. You're back. Okay. Right. I, I touched on something else. What? Um, you that support, um, uh, which I think, you know, a crucial ingredient in recovery is involved. Uh, you know, at the time I got involved with a young adult uh, a group and, um, yeah, just having that peer support. Yeah. Yeah, connection is crucial for people. And having somebody who understands. Yeah, and so all the there's all these self-care things and when I I mean I exercise because I I felt good. I liked how I felt and I liked the camaraderie, right? And as a byproduct, I looked better. Right. And I didn't even know what endorphins were back then. You, I just knew I liked the people, I liked the process, and I liked how I felt. And as a byproduct, I also liked how I looked. Yeah. And, and you're right. We think about it from the opposite direction. The if I take a pill. And the here's another thing I want to throw out there with self-care. Self-care is not a coupon book from your kids on Mother's Day for a free background. Right. That never happens. And right. I say that, like I'm guilty of saying that on like eight out of 10 podcasts, just because, and I say that to everyone, that's not self-care. And why, why is self-care selfish? And why is selfish a negative word? It doesn't have to be. Being yeah. selfish, self-care 
there's nothing negative or derogatory. And looping it back mm. to scripture, I always think of the woman at the well. Right. Right. Oh, one of my favorite, favorite stories. Right. It's just a little interesting tidbit about that okay. dialogue. I'm not sure many people know about this. Is that particular uh, scripture passage is the longest recorded dialogue between Jesus and one other person. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. But, you, you know, I want to also want to make a point about that. Um, you know, self-care is not selfish. And uh, we even see a couple points to that. One, we see it in the Gospel of uh, Mark. And I'm, I can't think of the passage at hand. But the scene is where Jesus goes off to be by himself. And a crowd starts to assemble. They want his attention. And so his disciples come to him and basically say, hey, you know, there's a crowd gathering. And his response to them is, okay, we'll go somewhere else then. You know, <laughs> Jesus was very much, you know, understood that. And I think it's even, you know, most critical when we look at when he talks about the greatest commandment of all. You know, you must love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the others like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. yourself. You know, because the, that's the equation. You can't have, you know, I, I certain, I honestly believe the way we treat others is a reflection of how we actually treat ourselves. Agreed. You know? Agreed. So, yeah, you know, you have to care for your, well, I, I don't like to use the word have to because that's kind of, but, you know, choose to choose to you know, take care of yourself so you then you have the energy to um and when you feel good about yourself you naturally uh have the energy to care for others and and have positive regard for them and if you're talking about scriptures it's in there a lot there's like having the oil in your lamp you cannot you can't give to someone else if you haven't filled yourself. I mean, basically, it's right. it's in the airplane. Put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help. It doesn't matter. We can think of a million different things where we're told over and over and over again, from the time of Christ all the way to getting on a flight today, we're told the exact same thing. And yet, we feel like it's selfish to take care, to do something for ourselves, and we think selfish is bad. Right. And I don't think either of those things are true. You can be Absolutely. selfish to a fault. Um, sure. It's not that it can't be a derogatory word, but it's not necessarily a derogatory word. And and I also intensely dislike when people say how busy they are because that's a choice that constantly right. feels stressed and busy. I'm not busy. I'm very deliberate with my time. And I have no problem saying no if it doesn't work. And that's not because I don't like you or what you're doing. That's because I like myself more. And I'm, I've gotten really good at saying, I really like you and spending time with you a lot, but I like my family more and I'm choosing to spend time with them on the weekend. Like right. not, even a, not even a question. Um, it's non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. And I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, you're right, especially women. We run ourselves ragged mm -hmm. working and taking care of the house. And I just, we all come about feeling self-confident and structuring our lives more deliberately in our own way. So I had my path and you had your path. And But I don't understand why everybody's so stressed and busy and upset and feeling like they're selfish. 
I, I'm glad I like you're a runner and I'm a runner and uh, my kids have grown up with me running and there have been many, many, many times I will put off the run because something comes up and it is, it is a juggling act of self care and being a parent and having a job and stuff. There, there is, I'm not minimizing the fact that things come up, you know? Um, so, but I've had, there are so many times my kids have said, Hey mom, why don't you just stop and go for a run? And I think, well, right. am, I, am I being a horrible parent right now? Am I being mean? Am I in a bad mood? And literally, my kids, several of them have said, no, but I know how much better you'll feel when you're done. You know, what a great observation. Right? Yeah. And I am so, I feel so thankful that my kids got to grow up seeing me unravel a little bit and seeing that when I just take... 20 or 30 minutes for myself, I come back and I am a better version of myself. And, it's okay to a, unravel. You know, and, and I think when I see in that, you know, a beautiful relationship with your kids is that they recognize mom's need to care for herself as well. Because now they'll recognize their need to care for themselves. Absolutely. And that's what you yeah. want to pass on. You know, I think if I could take what I learned as a kid and make it better. And then my kids, I always tell my kids, I hope you're better than I am. The goal is that you take everything good that I've done and one up me. I would be thrilled if you could outdo me. But a big part of that, that I've tried to teach all of them is self-care. You are the most important person in your life. For sure. For sure. So exercise helped. You felt those endorphins. I didn't know that's what I was feeling. <laughs> but it is a little addictive. It does feel a little bit good. And so what's happened since you're 21, you went into speech. So you do public speaking and coaching. Um, and you took on one kind of a one day at a time thing when you're when the counselor in college said, just show up for class and do the work and prove to me that you aren't smart enough. You just, it's like a one step at a time. One right. Day at a time, right? And, and that's, that's also, uh, you know, a good point to bring up because, you know, at the time starting out and the idea of graduating with a bachelor's degree just seemed so incredibly daunting. Um, right. So, you know, breaking it down to, uh, don't even worry about that. You know, one semester, let's just work on that. Right. You know, wow. So I, now I have eliminated that whole burden of a, oh my God, the coursework of a four-year degree and, and broke it down. Um, so, we, it, which is, you know, one of the things I also teach in coaching and, you know, how do we do goals? You know, sometimes when we, we have this great idea and looking at it at the end goal is so daunting, you know, we talk ourselves out of it. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, wait a minute. You know, it's still a great idea. Let's break it down. What's the first step? You know, all right, let's just focus here right now. And, and yeah, that's a good point. Well, yeah. And then also, I mean, I'm all, I'm all for journaling. I love journaling and I don't journal every day. Yeah. I'm not, right. I love that. That's one of the uh, healthy modalities. A journal can be like a 50 cent notebook. It's not even about spending a lot of money on yourself or you can get like a $30 one at Barnes and Noble that's leather and beautiful. And I still haven't ha gotten one of those, but you know, <laughs> and, and I have a couple, I have one in my car. And like, if I met you for coffee today, I'd bring it in. And, and right. I've done that before when we've met for coffee and I will take notes right. because I don't want to forget because I tend to not remember. I think I'm going to remember and I don't remember. 
Um, and I have one yeah. by my bed. And I just think for me, it's been really healthy to write down things that, that speak to me. And, um, sure. and I want to go back and revisit them and goals that I want. What do I want? And I have a goal list from when I was in college my first year. And I have never gotten my private pilot's license. But I love revisiting. There's still time. If I want to, I can. I mean, your priorities shift around and change and maybe some things on there I'll never do. But I still love revisiting those goals and the things that I want to do. And a lot of them haven't changed since I was 17. 30 years later, I still want to travel just as much as I did back then. Or I want to see the world. I want to meet people. I want to make a difference positively. You know, I mean, but I think when people write those down, you're right. So, okay, you can't eat an elephant in one bite. Right. So how do you break it down into manageable bites where you don't feel like you're failing yeah. in your goal? You're so yeah. The, the other piece, uh, the other thing about journaling, which I love, love journaling, and that was also uh, instrumental in my recovery and something that I encourage my clients to even do. Uh, I mentioned about the thought processes, you know, and breaking down those thought processes and, and how do we change that? Well, within our head, those thoughts are, are so fast, they, they are at lightning speed. So that's where we get stuck in that, that sense of overwhelm and I can't straighten this out. But with journaling, and this is what I learned about it, you know, just writing, just writing freehand and not even worrying about what I'm writing, does it make sense, is there an angle, just free writing. And there's a saying, uh, that I learned with journaling is sometimes I really don't know what it is I think until I write it down, then I can actually see what it is that I think. Mm -hmm. um, you know, back way back when, when I was getting my head together, um, you know, like I said, those thought processes were so fast, it, it just ended up in a sense of overwhelm and confusion. And what journaling actually helped me to do was to slow those thought processes down. And then I could start to see the negative stuff and then retool it or rewrite it. You know, okay, I used to think this. Now this is how we think about that. Um, so, yeah, I love, love journaling. Yeah. Great, great tool. So Craig, I want to totally switch gears here because I, because I know you and we've chatted. You told me a story. You worked with the police department or on the police department? 13 years with the police department, yes. Were, you were a private contract, is that right? No, I was, I, was a, I was on the patrol team as a community services officer. Okay. Now, which is, which is kind of interesting too because you know, people say, well, how'd you get in law enforcement? And when we talk about, we talked earlier about goals and what do you want to become? That was never on my agenda. <laughs> it was, it was simply really at a time in my life where I needed a job and they were hiring and I got into it and it, it actually um, worked well for me because uh, I mean, it paid well. I had good benefits. Um, and but I only had to do it four days a week. We were on a four ten schedule, so that worked well for me because uh, you know through that is when I went to graduate school. I got that done, and uh, then started to evolve my coaching practice, and through that as well. 
But so I worked as a community services officer, and our our role was to be a um, a support to the patrol division. So you think of the the police officers out there that carry guns and they run they rush into dangerous situations. Well, we drove patrol cars too, and we were uniformed, but we didn't carry guns. And our whole sole purpose was to go in and tend to things out in the field that were um, were not priority calls. So, um, you know, benign calls like uh, cold burglaries, meaning, you know, if you came home and you found somebody in your home, they're going to send the regular police officers with the gun. If you came home and your house had been broken into and there's, but the suspect is gone, they would send uh, myself out there and I would do the crime scene investigation. I would uh, take the report. So that's kind of gives you the idea of you know, what I did. Right. So, so tell me about the call you know I'm asking about. Yeah, so um, I got called out to, um, it was quite tragic and the only reason is because I had the I had the crime scene stuff so I had cameras what they were requesting but um uh and this is sad um it was a call of a of a suicide call which I would say you know, tragically that's not uncommon um but this one was a little something particularly interesting I don't want to say interesting, but this struck me odd. Was there was a young woman, um, and she, you know, was suicide by a gun, which was one very deliberate. Um, more common if it's young women, they pop pills. Yes, right. Um, and that I see more as a cry for help, but this was decisive. And what struck me odd was. Um, you know, she was a young, attractive woman, you know, very attractive. I would say, you know, the, from uh, what our culture deems as uh, admirable, she was genetically gifted, I would say. And um, I, I think there's an illusion that exists that, you know, if you and you would probably know better as a woman, but you know, there, that this idea, if you happen to be female and attractive or genetically privileged, that somehow you've got a leg up on people and that somehow, you know, life is easier for you. Um, you get ahead easier. Um, so I'll never know, but it struck me odd that someone who had that would destroy themselves. You know, I will never know what was so horrible going on in her life that she had felt that that was the only way out. Um, but then, you know, I, I thought back to my own experience and I said, well, I, I do know a little bit about being in a very dark, dark place and wanting that feeling to end. Um, then I thought back to you know, one comes to destroy, one comes to give life abundantly. And I think of the one who comes to destroy and I look at that situation and I think mission complete. Yeah. There is that stigma that when you're an attractive woman, that it's easier. And 
you know, I think just like every situation, there are pros and cons to everything. So maybe in some ways it is easier, but it's not in others. I know that people have assumed that I've slept my way into a better job or, you, you know, I, so it doesn't mean that being an attractive woman, I'm putting myself in that category. That's pretty <laughs> not humble. But when you're seen as someone who's attractive and people make assumptions no, it's not easier. I've had just as many, maybe more, relationship failures, um, women that don't like you, really snarky comments. Um, you know, I think we all get that equally, and we don't realize that we're all getting it equally, just in different ways. So if someone is overweight, they're, the negative comments to them are going to be about their negative weight, where if you're attractive, the negative comments are about that you're attractive. And so maybe people see that's not negative. It does, but we all have right. the same feelings, right? And so yeah. whether you're being made fun of because you were a skinny kid or someone else is being made fun of because they're heavy, you're too tall, you're too short, you're, you know, your butt's too big, it's too small. It, it doesn't matter. So there are naysayers everywhere and people want to try to make themselves feel better at the expense of someone else feeling worse. And so I don't think being pretty gives you any advantage except you're just, the mean comments are different. And maybe if there's someone who feels unattractive and overweight, they wish that the negative comments were about how pretty they were because that would feel so much better. It, it does not feel any better. You're coming from a different place. And we never know except that the emotions for that beautiful college student who killed herself with a gun are just as horrifying as the negative feelings that anyone else has regardless of their level Absolutely. of attractivity right? right and so i think especially women to women you would think another woman knows what it's like to be pregnant to miscarry a child or to go through infertility or to um, be cheated on right another woman can talk to me about any of these things and we will totally get each other because we've we have the same physical chemistry so if like you can't talk to me about what it's like to be a woman and lose a child. You could talk to me about what it's like to be a man and lose a child. And I bet we'd identify in a lot of the same ways, but right. you can't tell me what it's like to physically go through it. Another woman and I could have that conversation and very genuinely and in a raw way really relate to each other. And we could use that, that commonality to boost each other up and to, help each other. And I think as women, we tend to do the opposite. We really are good at attacking each other. So <laughs> I don't understand yeah. that in our society, how much we could bolster each other up, women to women, um, and how much we tear each other down instead. And that's really yeah. sad to me. I think that's a lot about female self-esteem in the net here and now. And you may see that a little bit differently than I do, a different perspective to that. But we could we could really be helping you could help a sister out a lot by being there for each other and we don't and I kind of that kind of leads me to one of the last questions I want to talk about because I want you to tell me what are the what are some of the biggest things when women come to you for your coaching and you do your uh, public speaking 
what are the things that women are struggling with? What are there? Do you have a top five or top 10 or top three that like, regardless of age and weight and race and all of that stuff, what are the biggest issues that women are facing? Um, I think the identity part is a big piece of that. Um, so, you know, they, kind of gone along in life well I've done this I've done that but now I don't know there's something missing Uh, so the identity piece is a big part of it Um, they've recognized the pattern of you know like the dating thing you know every guy I've dated cheated on me (laughs) well what's the what's the common denominator (laughs) oh it's me (laughs) right right right. Going back to, you know, energy attracts like energy. Um, You know, um, I'm in a job I hate and, uh, but I, you know, I'm dependent on it. I don't know how to do anything else. Um, That's hard. That's hard because it's scary in a different way and you feel so stuck. Right. Right. Um. You know, and that's the other thing. I'm, I'm, I just feel insecure. I've always felt insecure. That, and that's that kind feeling of, the thing. of not being enough in one way or another. Not, not being enough. You know, I don't have the confidence. Um, I know this is what I want, but I'm stuck. I don't, don't even know the first step to get there. Um, a lot of ruts. Yeah. That's what I think. People are in a lot of ruts. Um, yeah. I see women whose yeah. kids are leaving the house because I'm at that age where our kids are leaving the house and they're panic stricken because like their entire identity has been in parenting their kids. And that it's huge. I mean, raising a, a ch- I made, I made these children. <laughs> I made them, I raised them, you know, it's huge, but it's, I think it's because the identity was so wrapped up in one thing, the job the raising the kids that we Uh have no idea who we are outside of that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's another point. You know, I just, uh, last week I was speaking to a, a mom's group. Um, and it was just really uh, two points I was giving them was the, you know, tips on how do we raise our kids to be confident and self-insured and, you know, that issue of being a mom and, and the importance of self-care and how do we do that? And, um, you know, some of the the conversations I had after I was done talking was uh, that was a huge concern for them is, you know, you know, I do have daughters and, you know, you know, how do I instill them a sense of confidence and self-esteem? And um, so, you know, even that brief conversation, we just, well, here's, here's a few strategies, things to be aware of. so, you know, I've, I've worked in that angle as well is, you know, um, yeah, and now I'm a mom and uh, I've been kind of insecure in my life, and but I don't want my kids to grow up that way. Yeah, so how are you that you have to be that example of that? So right. it comes right back, yeah. I think, all self-esteem issues come back to the same, kind of the same thing. Well, you, you need to do it for you before you can... Mm-hmm show somebody right. else how to do it for right you it comes back to self-care it does 
And that's where, where I really, you know, the conclusion of, you know, my talk is that point, you know, I, you know, I've talked about these things, you know, these are the tips I go, but in order to, to carry this out and in order to do that, we've really got to take a hard look at ourselves and what are we projecting? Right. Right. Craig, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I know people, people can find you through myinternalimage.com. Is there somewhere easier to find you or is that the best way? That's probably the easiest way you can. I'm out there on social media, media. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Um, just one other plug I have yeah. going. So, um, for anybody who'd be interested, more interested in, in reading a bit about my story and recovering from depression, uh, uh, there is a book coming out in spring. Uh, the book is titled "Using Your Setback to Propel You Forward," and I was a contributing author. To uh, they're all stories of authors who have gone through some sort of adversity and have transform that into something productive in their lives so look for awesome. that to come okay yeah. so will that be on amazon it will okay okay i'll definitely put that in the show notes and that'll be this spring and i know we've had a conversation about you being a coach to women and not being a woman and i i want to do a plug that sometimes it's very refreshing to not have as much as I say, well, women can really help women, it's really refreshing to have a male opinion because you're not a woman. <laughs> and I don't know how to say that in a way that it makes the most sense, but you come at things in a much, from a male perspective, which is just different and unique. And also someone who's been married to a woman that he loves for 24 years. And in our conversations, I've really appreciated and valued your insight. You'll, you'll say things, but it's in a slightly different way than a woman would say it to me. And uh, it's a little bit more poignant that way. So I, I would encourage anyone who wants to have a coach, um, working with any kind of self-esteem issue or goal setting that they should contact you and uh, you will get them even though you're a guy. So yeah. that's Well, my I also have the advantage of growing up in a family of all sisters and no brothers. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. How many sisters did you have growing up? I have two, two older sisters. Yep. Yep. I'm so sorry. And you're, <laughs> and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for sharing. I really, really appreciate you. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.